Before I get started on my sermon, I do want to ask, is there anyone who might need a W0032724 valve for a Kenmore dishwasher. Because if you need one of those, I happen to have a spare. <laughs> About a year ago, I was getting ready to take the dishes out of the dishwasher and they were still dirty. And I thought, oh, I forgot to, you know, you forget to hit the button and run them. So I put the pod in and the pod was still there. And I thought, well, something's wrong. And they were, they were dry. They weren't just dirty. They were, they were dry. So I tr tried running it again and still nothing. And I realized that the dishwasher was broken. So I did what I normally do in a situation like this. I Google stuff. And I find out what's the most likely cause of the problem. And the most likely cause is the W1032724949. I think I read that wrong. 49 valve for the Kenmore dishwasher. And I was able to order this pretty cheaply on Amazon. It's really not an expensive part. And I watched a five minute long video telling me how to replace it. Not a problem. The problem was, the only problem I had was it was Wednesday and the part wasn't gonna get here until Monday. That meant hand washing dishes all weekend, which I don't mind, but it also meant that all weekend long, I was going to be obsessing about how to fix our dishwasher. I watched that five minute video over and over again. I had it rehearsed in my head what I was going to do. I was going downstairs. I was going to flip the breaker. I was going to come back upstairs, detach the part, unscrew it, take it off, put up the new one on, turn the breaker back on, and the dishwasher would start working again. All weekend long, I rehearsed that. Monday morning came and Eric, the UPS guy, showed up just like he comes to your house. He showed up with the part. I ran over home. I turned off the breaker. I replaced the part. I flipped it back on. I started it and nothing. And so I began, I thought, well, I did it wrong. So I went back through the process. Still nothing, still nothing. And somewhere around Monday afternoon where I was contemplating that I was going to be hand washing dishes for the rest of my life, I called David Seifler up. I says, is there anything you can tell me? He says, well, I can loan you my multimeter and you can test it and see if it works. So I went down to David's and he showed me where to hook up the multimeter onto the part. And he says, this will tell you whether or not it's actually working. And as I'm getting ready to walk out, just off the cuff, David says, don't forget to check the float valve. And I said, what's the float valve? He says, it's this little plastic cylinder in the bottom of your dishwasher. And when the water comes in, it rises up and that, that lets the water in. If the float valve gets stuck, like if your water maybe is kind of hard and crusty, after a while, the float valve quits working and you just need to go in there and lift it up every now and then. I went back home and I just lifted up the float valve and yeah, I was a little stuck the first time. And all of a sudden the dishwasher starts working perfectly. And you know, it was just a reminder to me that if there is a hard way and an easy way, I'm going to choose the hard way. <laughs> even, even if the hard way seems easy, I'm not even going to notice that there is an easy way. I am going to overcomplicate. I am going to overthink. If there is an easy way and a hard way, I will see the hard way as the only way. And I wish that was just about dishwashers, but it's not. That's, a, that's in a lot of places in my life. I do that in other areas. I find myself overthinking. 
Sunday mornings, I start thinking, well, when I start working on my sermon and even up until Sunday morning, do I say it this way? Do I say it that way? What if I say this wrong? What if I, what if I say something wrong to somebody? I, I start overcomplicating. My overthinking leads to overcomplicating. But sometimes, I don't know if you do this, but sometimes overthinking doesn't lead to overcomplicating. It leads to paralysis. We're just paralyzed. Because if, if we overthink things for too long, we, if we don't know what to do, we end up just not doing anything. We just end up paralyzed and we, we don't do anything. Have you ever been there in life? And I realize that more often than not, what I need is something simple explained to me. I need things simplified. Tell me what to do in as simple a terms as possible and then let me do it. So today we come to Micah chapter 6. Verse 8, one simple verse is all we're looking at today. Micah 6, 8, page 780 in those blue Bibles in front of you. And what we come to in this one verse really is the heart of Micah's message to his people. The leadership of Micah's nation, the leadership of Judah had failed its people. They had led the people astray. And then there's the leadership of their faith, the leadership of their religion there at the temple uh, in Jerusalem. They they were filled with hypocrisy. They, They were faithless themselves. So when Micah tells them what true faithfulness looks like in this one verse, when he shows us what true faithfulness looks like, we don't need to be overthinking this. We don't need to overcomplicate this. We need it simple. We need it direct. And that's exactly what Micah gives us in this one verse. Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. That one verse cuts through all the overcomplication that we can even begin to to imagine in our mind, all the ways that we can overthink things, and it tells us exactly what the Lord has required of us. That's the language of this verse. What is required? What is it that we are supposed to do? And it comes from something that we've seen Micah do already. Micah sets his argument as a courtroom drama. He does that over and over again. He takes us back to that lesson of the courtroom drama. In fact, if you did back up to verse 1 of chapter 6, Micah says, Hear what the Lord says. Arise and plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear your voice. Hear ye, hear ye. It is time to plead your case. It's time for law and order. Dun, dun. He's, putting on, he's putting his people on trial. What is the charge? Negligence. And what are they pleading? Ignorance. Negligence, they have neglected to do what God requires of them and they are pleading ignorance. You've heard it before. Ignorance of the law is no excuse, right? Micah is saying ignorance of God and His will and His ways. That is no excuse. Why? Because He has told you, oh man. He has told you what is good and what the Lord requires of you. Some of your Bibles in this verse, it doesn't say He has told you. It says He has shown you. He has 
shown you. <laughs> My favorite subject in school, show and tell. I got A's in show and tell all the time. I was really disappointed that we don't have show and tell. Once you get past, you know, second grade or so, there's no more show and tell. Show and tell, show or tell, it's no mystery. It's no secret. You know, everybody thinks they've got to find the secret of what God wants. There are people who will try to sell you on some secret that God has. Ooh, I've figured out the secret. I know the secret on how to get God to do what I want, on how to get God to answer my prayers, how to make sure that God hears me. It is no secret. Again and again, God has communicated with us exactly what He expects of us. And more than that, He has demonstrated it for us. He has told you. He has shown you in His love for us. He has made His requirements known. The question is, have we paid attention? You know, Have we paid attention? Have we recognized God's example for us? His forgiveness of us. His forgiveness of us ought to show us that we need to be forgiving towards others. In His kindness to us. It's His kindness, Paul says in Romans, His kindness leads us to repentance. Have we taken that and paid that forward in our kindness towards others? Have we looked at the way God has treated us and said that that's our example? Because Micah is telling us it's really as simple as that. God's not a mystery. He doesn't hide Himself from you. He doesn't hide His requirements. We don't have to guess what God wants from us. God has always come near. He has always moved close. He has always made Himself known. And He's always shown you exactly who He is and what He expects of us. Ah, but we love to, we love to complicate things. We love to, to make things just a little bit harder. We love to complicate things for ourselves. And we will set requirements for ourselves and say, this is the standard by which I have to live. And then we look at someone who doesn't quite meet our requirements. And we say, well, they're not faithful to God, obviously. Obviously, they're doing it wrong. We set requirements for ourselves and expect other people to live up to them. You know, that we're no different than what the people were like in Jesus' day. In Mark, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 and 24, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you tithe the mint and dill and cumin. These are the three smallest things that you could possibly tithe, that you could give a tenth back to God for. You tithe the mint and dill and cumin, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. What are the weightier matters of the law? You have neglected the weightier matters, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Does this sound familiar? What's the Lord required of you? To do justice, to love kindness, or to love mercy? And to walk humbly with your God. You ought to have done these without neglecting the others. You blind guides. In other words, you do this and then you make other people follow you. And you're a, you're a blind guide. We're so wrapped up in the minute details that we neglect to do exactly what Micah is talking about by Micah's words, by Jesus' words. Pleasing God is, is not that complicated. In fact, Micah defines how to please God in one verse. Micah 6.8. This is all it takes. So what does pleasing God look like? He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. Micah 6.8. One thing I want you to notice about this verse. There is not a single thou shalt not in this verse. 
There's not a single negative in this verse. Don't miss that. It's not about thou shalt not do this or you shall you, you need to avoid doing that. Stay away from those people. Stay away from this. Don't you dare go to that place. Instead, he fills it with positive actions that point to God's presence. And you know, I think maybe if we concentrate on those positives, the negatives kind of take care of themselves. We don't have to worry about those. So what has he told us that God expects of us? Well, first of all, he expects us to do justice. To do justice is to seek protection for those that otherwise may have no protection. It is to seek protection for those who otherwise might be oppressed. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus is going through the Beatitudes, He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's a bit of an unfortunate translation because that word righteousness is the same word for justice. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they shall be filled. There are people in our world who don't get justice, and we are supposed to be looking out for them. Now in the Bible, in biblical times, uh, we see uh, over and over again the plea for justice for those who, who receive none. They are the, uh, they are the, the slaves. Uh, they are the poor. They are the widows. They are the orphans. They are the foreigners. These are people who, for whom justice was often withheld. Writing at about the same time as Micah, Isaiah is over there in Jerusalem. And God speaking through Isaiah in chapter 1, verse 17 says, Learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, and bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's case. You and I have stood and we have faced that flag. We've put our hands over our heart. And what have we pledged ourselves to over and over again? And justice for all. Right? You've, ple you've, you've, you've pledged your life to that. You have pledged yourself to that. And justice for all. This is exactly what we are pledging ourselves to in this verse. This is what the Lord requires of you. To do justice and to love kindness. And we're going to sing a song in a little bit. And in that song, uh, the word is translated mercy. To, to love mercy. In fact, you may have heard that as the translation many, many times. To love mercy. It's a really hard word to translate in just... You, you can't translate this word with just one English word or one English phrase. It, the, the Hebrew word is, is hased. I've mentioned it before. It is... It is God's special kind of love. Nobody, nobody can define this in just one word. It means mercy. It also means kindness. It also means love. It also means loving kindness. It also means steadfast love. It is a love that is based on the love that God has already shown you, that God has pledged to you. Yes, it means mercy. My problem with mercy is I don't always know what mercy looks like. You say, be merciful. What does that look like? But if you tell me kindness, I know what kindness is. I've seen kindness. I've seen what kindness looks like when it's been shown to me. I know what kindness feels like. And so this is God's kindness. And yeah, it's God's kindness. We're not loving kindness. We're not showing kindness because someone else was kind to us first. We're not showing kindness to get them to be kind back to us. 
We are kind because God was first kind to us. This is what the Lord requires to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. To walk humbly. We understand humility and pride are opposites, but what does it mean to walk humbly with your God? It is a life that is attentive to God's will, that God's will is more important than my will, that God getting His way with me is more important than me getting my way with anybody. God getting His way with me is more important than me getting my way. When we understand this and when we combine it with justice and kindness for others, then there are plenty of opportunities that we suddenly see in our world. There's plenty of opportunities in our community for us to do good, for us to meet those requirements of God right here. Do justice. Love kindness. And walk humbly with your God. It's that simple. And when we take those together, we can't miss that pleasing God is always going to look like caring for others. It's that simple. Pleasing God is always going to look like caring for others. What does the Lord require of you? You notice there in the beginning of the verse, that's only half. It's not just about what does the Lord require of you. He says uh, He has told you what is good and what the Lord requires of you. The question is what is good? Uh, you recognize good, right? You know good when you see it. You know good when you're shown good. Again, we don't have to overthink this. This isn't rocket surgery. <laughs> rocket science or brain surgery. Either way. You, you understand it when you see it. If we want to please God, it's going to look like doing good for other people. It is good to do justice. Last Tuesday, I was in Indianapolis for the National Preaching Summit and I got to talk with Rick Russo, who was one of the keynote speakers. Rick, who also went to school at Lincoln. And Rick and, and, and another fellow who spoke there, Brian Mavis, have written a fantastic little book called The Neighboring church. It's all about how to be the church that your neighbors need. It is a wonderful book. You've never read it, but you've heard me talk about it before. And I've shared a awful lot from that book. And I was thanking Rick for that book. And, and I shared with him that I was preaching from this verse this week. And Rick said, you know, the great thing about that verse is, speaking of Micah 6, 8, he says, we do two thirds of it really well. He says, we can be very kind and merciful. We can be very humble. He said, I don't think we understand justice all that well. I don't think we always do justice all that well. And I understand his point. I get what he was saying. I think we need to consider how concerned are we that everyone in our community is treated as an equal? How concerned are we that everybody in our community, no matter where they live or no matter how they live, that they are treated equally? Equally fair, equal in need, and equal in value. I think we do a pretty decent job. I think we could always do better. Because we live in a world where some people get overlooked and we need to make sure we're looking out for them. I think we do kindness here. I know we do kindness here at Kansas Christian Church. I could tell you story after story of kindness that we've shown to people through this church. Let me tell you one story about... About a month and a half ago or so, we had a lady come to us with a need, a lady from our community. She had a need. She needed brakes for her car. And she brought us an estimate, and it was high. 
uh, to get her brakes fixed. It was a lot of money. And we looked at that and said, oh, we could probably, we could probably do about a third of this, but that's all, you know, you, you'd have, still have to go find the rest of the money somewhere else. There's a man in, in our community that I meet with a couple times a week. We get together and encourage each other and we pray together and just become one of the highlights of my week when I get to get together with my friend and, and spend a little time talking. And I was telling him about this lady with this need and he said, I can fix brakes. And he said, that's, that's way too high. He said, I can get you the parts for pretty much a third of that. I said, you could do this? He said, yeah. So between the two of us, we took some of the money from the generous bucket that you've generously provided, and we were able to order the parts, get a discount even on the parts. And, and he took her car home to a garage, and in about two hours, he had her brakes repaired. He said, he said it was just metal on metal. There was no pad left on those brakes at all. He said, there's no way she was gonna be able to drive this car. We replaced her brakes, she got her car back, and what I love about it isn't just that you and I got to be kind because we give money through the generous bucket. That's a big part of it. But my friend was able to be kind too. We made an opportunity for someone else to be faithful to God by helping him serve. That's wonderful. I think that is one of the kindest parts of that story. And I, I love that story. We do justice. We do kindness. We walk humbly with our God. You know, I'll tell you that story about what my friend was at, what our friend was able to do, but I'm not going to call the newspaper and tell them about it. <laughs> I'm not going to call the, the local TV stations and say, you got to get down here and hear all the wonderful things that Kansas Christian Church is doing. No, because you know why we do it. We do it to make Jesus know. We do it so that Jesus is famous. That, that promise that I've come back to over and over again from John, Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all people to me. He doesn't say if Kansas Christian Church is lifted up. He doesn't say if, if, if our worship is lifted up, if our awesome preaching is lifted up. No. He says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw people to me. There's no promise in us lifting up ourselves. But if you and I, if you and I give our time, if we give our effort, if we give our money, if we give everything that we have to make Jesus known, there's promise there. We walk humbly with our God. We want to tell people what Jesus has done for us, what He's done for Him, and that it's His love that provides these gifts for them. It's His love that provides the encouragement and the kindness because we want to walk humbly with our God. We want people to notice Jesus. So what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? To do justice. To love kindness. And to walk humbly with your God. In a world where it is too easy, where there are too many examples of where we've overthought things, <laughs> or we just think and stew over, over things and overcomplicate things, we need God to keep it simple for us. And where you and I might easily paralyze ourselves, and instead of doing good, we might just end up doing nothing because what if we do it wrong? Micah shows us just how simple it is to extend God's love to those around us. There's another aspect to walking humbly with God that I think it's important for us to remember. And I want to, I want to say this right. There's an aspect to walking humbly with God when you look at that language. And the aspect is this. Don't take yourself too seriously. 
Do you need to be reminded of that every now and then? Don't take yourself too seriously. The, the world's not going to fall apart if you encourage someone the wrong way. <laughs> the world's not going to fall apart if out of your kindness you don't quite meet everybody's need. Let's not take ourselves too seriously. And let's trust that if we're walking humbly with God, with our God, that He has got this. He has told you. The song we're going to sing in just a minute or two says, He has shown you. <laughs> Show and tell. Show or tell. The point is this. God has already demonstrated the truths of this verse to you. And in fact, the fact is He has shown you every bit of that verse was lived out for us through Jesus Christ. Every bit of that one verse was lived out for us through Jesus. Jesus, what is good? He is the good shepherd. He is the good teacher. By His very life, by the way that He served, He defined goodness for us. Jesus demonstrated mercy and kindness in both His life and His death. Jesus, who showed us what justice is by opening the way for forgiveness and opening the way for heaven for everyone. Jesus, who walks humbly with you. Every aspect of Him is seen in this verse. And when we live this verse out, when we seek justice for those that can find no justice for themselves, when we seek kindness for those who are in need of kindness, and when we walk humbly and let our Lord be seen in us, as we live this verse out, we are, and as we care for those around us, Jesus is seen in us. We want Him to be seen in all that we do. Let me pray. We'll, take the, we'll sing and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Well, Father, You have kept it so simple. And yet we have complicated things again and again. Lord, you, You've written it out in, in the most plain language possible and yet we will continue to complicate things and we will continue to, to make things hard on ourselves and then in turn make things harder for other people. And so we come again and again to this table and remind ourselves that it was one gift. It was one sacrifice. It was Your grace that opened the way for us to know forgiveness, to know salvation, to know eternal life, and to know You. And so today as we take the bread that reminds us of the body broken, as we take the cup that reminds us that blood has been shed, Lord, remind us that we don't do this just for ourselves. But there's a world of people just outside of our doors who are desperate to know what You are like. Who are desperate for someone to show them the love of Jesus. And so as we take, remind us that we are taking part in that mission. To do justice. To love kindness. And to walk humbly with You. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.